welcome back to our special relationship series. So this week, again, we are theming our episodes. We're bringing back some of our older episodes for maybe people who have not listened to them, or if you have listened to them, it's been quite a while. So this week, the theme is relationships and relationships, all different types of relationships. So this episode that we wanted to share with you guys is episode number 22. And this is Danny and my, one of our favorite episodes. We interviewed our friend, Drew Manning, who is um, on Instagram. He's fit to fat to fit. He uh, was, he tells a story of kind of gaining on purpose 75 pounds and then going through the process of losing that so he could increase his, uh, the degree to which he could be empathetic with his clients. It was a really cool story. And what is really interesting about Drew is he has a huge following, a huge audience, obviously he has a television show and all this kind of stuff. But what he was in our episode with him was he was so vulnerable and he talked a lot about um, when he was married. And so he kind of came up in the Mormon church. He ended up kind of because of that very strict kind of religious upbringing. He had a lot of things that he was kind of suppressing as he was getting older. And he talks a lot on this episode about his porn addiction, about his uh, how he was unfaithful to his wife and kind of like how the cheating happened and his total turnaround with that. And they ended up getting divorced. But in this episode, he was so, so honest about all of the different things that happened in his marriage and how he kind of came through that, uh, taking full responsibility for it, but also coming out on the other side, a different person. So this episode is really special to Danny and I. We obviously, it's close to our hearts in terms of infidelity, but it was really interesting to hear from uh, a male's perspective how he kind of came through that and uh, kind of some of the resources and books and counselors and people who really helped him do a total 180 when it came to just the self-realization that kind of comes out of something like this. And both Danny and I at times during this interview uh, are tearing up. He was very honest. He was very vulnerable. This is one of our favorite episodes. If you have not listened to this episode, go ahead and give it a listen. It's Drew Manning. We'd love to hear what you guys think. And let us know on uh, Instagram at The Best Life Podcast in our Facebook group, thebestlifepodcast.com. If you have not listened to this episode, you have got to listen to it. It is one of our absolute favorites. Hi, I'm Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to The Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is The Best Life. Hey guys, welcome to The Best Life Podcast. This is Danny J. And we got my good friend, you know her, Jill Coleman here. Hello. Hey, so we are actually in our uh, podcast studio in Austin, Texas. Uh, we're in our apartment, uh, our Airbnb podcast studio, but we have sitting next to us a very handsome man who's not just a pretty face, we found out, and you'll find out too, uh, Mr. Drew Manning. <laughs> you guys <laughs> hey, are too nice. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's yeah. my pleasure. Thanks for coming. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we actually were introduced to Drew a few months back by a friend of ours, and we got to meet you for the first time at our podcast launch party. Uh, didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with you, but we are excited to be able to pick your brain now here. 
Yeah, I know. I'm super pumped to hear about your journey because I know you have like a lot of different kind of like facets of your journey and we'll get into all the kind of various things. But just for people who don't know in our audience, maybe they've never met you, which I don't think that is the case. But if they maybe don't know you, what's your kind of like the background story? What's the story behind Fit to Fat to Fit? Yeah, that's what most people know me from is my Fit to Fat to Fit journey when Mm -hmm. I did this crazy journey back in 2011 where I intentionally got fat on purpose to better understand my clients. You were a personal trainer. Yeah, I was a personal trainer. I grew up my entire life in shape. Grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters. I played football and I wrestled from a very young age. And so I never knew what it's like to be overweight. And then I became a personal trainer in 2009. Mm -hmm. Typical trainer, six-pack abs, thinking it was easy, you know, just eat less, work out. Mm -hmm. And there was an immediate disconnect between my clients and I. And I couldn't figure out why it was so hard for them just to do what I told them to do. And so I had this lightning bolt moment where I was thinking of ideas of like, how could I be a better trainer? How could I better relate to my clients? And this idea popped up in my head of what if you got fat on purpose and documented it? And I even Googled to see if anybody had done it before, like yeah. on purpose and and no one had. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm really going to do this. I told my friends, my family, my wife at the time who was pregnant and she's like, yes, you should totally do it because it's going to be junk food in the house. Oh my gosh. And she, so she was super excited about it. But um, <laughs> She's like, yeah, I want you to get fat with me because I'm pregnant. <laughs> exactly. And I was more of the health nut in our marriage. And so she, I always had healthy food in the house. And yeah. so anyways, um, I did it and I gained 75 pounds of pure fat in six Yay. months. I stopped exercising, ate a lot of cinnamon toast crunch, macaroni and cheese, Mountain Dew, hot pockets, SpaghettiOs, chips, cookies, crackers, soda, Sounds juices. Like my teenage years. Yeah. A <laughs> typical, you know, a typical American diet, especially for the seventies and eighties, all that highly processed food. Yeah. And, um, here's the thing. It was so humbling. It was way harder than I ever thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what people liked about the journey is they saw how humbling it was for me because if I had done it with the mentality of like oh this is easy you know it's not that hard what's wrong with you people you know I don't think anyone would have liked me one and two uh, there was no relatability factor there and so I think people saw how truly humbling it was for me and that's where the greatest lessons were learned so uh gaining the weight was super hard uh what was hard about it exactly Here's the thing. Your identity is based on what your body looks like. Mm-hmm. So for me, my identity was based on six pack and muscly and looking mm-hmm. good. And once I lost that, I freaked out. Yeah. I didn't know who I was. So I'd go out in public and I would be like, hey, you know, I wanted to tell people I'm not really overweight. This is really, here's my <laughs> right. before picture. Justified. Go to this website. Like, this isn't me, guys. This is just an experiment. Yeah. And, you know, and my wife at the time, like I would cover up in front of her stepping out of the shower, you know, lights were off and uh, during intimate situations because I didn't want her to see me naked. I didn't want to see myself naked, yeah. right? So that's that's what was hard about this journey was not so much the physical weight gain. Like I knew that was going to happen, but it was more so how it was going to affect me mentally and emotionally. And there was an, an experience where towards my heaviest, my daughter who was two at the time wanted to play with me at home and she wanted me to chase her around the house. And I remember coming home from work uh, one day and I chased her for about a minute and I was out of breath and chafing became an issue, which was super uncomfortable. And after about a minute, I told her I had, I had to sit down, you know, I was like, daddy needs to take a break. And she didn't understand. Mm -hmm. She was like, no, come play with me. And, uh, she had these, 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 uh, puppy dog eyes and these tears start coming out and she was just like crying. Like, why won't you play with me? And it broke my heart, you know? And I was doing this to myself on purpose. How, imagine how many millions of other people can't play with their kids or their grandkids and how bad that must suck. Not so much because of their weight, but because of their health. And that's where I realized, you know, uh, just how wrong I was about transformation. Mm -hmm. I focused so much on the physical side of it and I couldn't relate to the mental and emotional side. 
How did you give yourself a timeline or a goal weight before you were going to turn it around? Or were you finally just like, okay, this is where I got to stop. I got to flip it around now. Or were you like, I'm giving myself six months or 75 pounds. Like what was that point of, okay, now it's done and we got to flip the experiment. It was the six month time frame, how much okay. of her weight I gained. But I I, th- I thought I was only only going to gain 50 pounds or 60 at the most. Right. But I ended up gaining 76 at my heaviest. And after six months, I flipped the switch and you know, got back to fit. And that was a whole, that was, that's a whole nother story, but it was very humbling and a lot harder than I thought it would be. And helped me relate to my clients so much more. How long did it take you to lose the 75? Six months, six months of gaining, six months of losing, but the emotional connection to food is way more powerful Mm -hmm. than I ever thought. And I only did this for six months. Imagine someone that's been living this way for six years or six decades. And now you're trying to tell them, okay, eat, you know, vegetables and real food. Uh (laughs) It's so hard for people. And that's where I had, I learned the empathy, you know, and, and more respect and a better understanding of what people go through when they try and, you know, transform their bodies. Were you doing personal training during that gaining time? You were still with clients? I actually stopped tra- uh, personal training. So I had a full-time job in the medical field. Uh, okay. I was a part-time personal trainer. I okay. never did personal training full-time, actually. Gotcha. But once I did this journey, I was like, I can't take on clients because, one, I'll be in the gym and I want to work out. Right. <laughs> and I was worried about what other people would think of me. As yep. an overweight trainer, I'm like, I don't want that judgment. And... um it was hard enough just being out in public as, you know, someone who was overweight. I wanted to tell people like, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm not, this isn't really like, me, you guys. Totally <laughs> but um, it's very humbling in that sense. So did you develop like a, like a palate for that food? So it was hard to give it up once you made that switch again? 100%. Uh, yeah. When I switched back to the, you know, real whole food, the food didn't taste as good. Mm-hmm. And I felt awful. I felt, it was literally hell for the first two weeks mm-hmm. of Swishing back because I went from 5,000 calories or so of cinnamon toast crunch twice a day and macaroni and cheese and, mm-hmm. and Mountain Dew to the next day, you know, spinach shakes and uh, broccoli and kale and chicken and, you know, all these whole foods. And it, it tasted like crap and I felt awful for two weeks. Yeah. And that's where I realized, you know, it's a serious addiction and your body goes through these withdrawal symptoms yeah. and your body fights back. It's like we want that high of yep. that processed food. Yep. And, um, it, you know, it helped me, you know, realize just how powerful that emotional connection to food really is. Were there a lot of times you wanted to quit? You're like, why am I doing this? I don't have to be doing this. 100%. Like, you know, being that big, like was, was so, was so difficult and I definitely wanted to, but the thing that kept me going was the fact that it, it went viral, right? Like it, yeah. I went on Jay Leno and Dr. Oz and I had no intention of that happening. It just was, it was luck in a way. I feel very fortunate. But I knew people were watching me and were being inspired by this. So I had to be kind of the example or the leader in that situation. And I think, you know, you can apply that to anybody else. Like you don't need to do what I did, but you can have that accountability to where, you know, people are looking towards you or people get inspired from you. And that makes you want to, you know, do better and try harder. So I definitely, you know, there were days where I just wanted to <laughs> eat cinnamon toast crunch and not go to the gym and <laughs> sleep in. I had those moments for sure. Um, but I knew people were counting on me and they were doing it too. I'm like, if they can do this, I can yeah. do this too. And then you had a TV show uh, like spin off after this and you just had like January 8th. I remember mm-hmm. another released. So you didn't you also have other I remember our friend Felicia Romero I think she was on so you guys got other trainers to do this too right yeah so the 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 idea in a nutshell was instead of me doing this over and over again which Mm -hmm. I can't like it's just impossible and I don't want to um once is enough (laughs) yeah exactly was to get other trainers you know take them through this process so I would coach them through it that was the idea so for four months the trainers on the tv show have to gain weight and then they lose the weight with their clients and it's really powerful to see these trainers go through this 
their own fit to fat to fit experience. And that's kind of what my whole brand is about is, is having those people who, you know, can be kind of judgmental and a little bit self-obsessed, kind of seeing what it's like, not a true understanding, but a little glimpse of kind of how hard it is. And it helps them relate to their their clients so much more and it helps their clients relate to them and respect them so much more for going through this process. So for me, it's, it's, you know, I call it this fit to fat to fit movement where hopefully, you know, it can help bridge the gap of, you know, here over here, we have, you know, fit, skinny people and, and people who are overweight. And there's a lot of judgment and misunderstanding that goes on. And I feel like this can hopefully help bridge that gap. So I'm interested. So we, we always hear the term like fat shaming. So did you experience that when you were at your heaviest or getting close to your heaviest? Like where people, how did people treat you differently? In That's public? a really good question. And here's the thing. I think it's totally different for men and for women in our society. Women have it so much harder by being judged for being overweight. Whereas men, it, they can kind of get away mm-hmm. with it, like for yeah. being husky or yeah. it's like socially acceptable. Yeah. So no one really said anything mean to me. It, most of it was created in my head of yeah. like, oh, people are probably judging me. And I don't know whether they were or not, but I think women have it a lot harder um, where they probably experience that more than, than men do. Now, I'm not saying that men don't experience that, but for me, being 75 pounds overweight, it didn't, I didn't feel like I was morbidly obese yeah. and I don't feel like people were rude or said anything mean to me, but you definitely feel judged in yeah. certain situations. And so, you know, I definitely felt very uncomfortable <laughs> going out in public. So right before we got on here, you said you got a book deal. That's a book coming out 2019. <laughs> so what is this book about? And does it have to do with this brand or something completely different? Yeah. So it ties in the lessons I learned from Fit to Fat to Fit, uh-huh. my first book, which became a New York Times bestseller. But this one's focused on the keto diet. So I've kind of since then transitioned into the ketogenic diet, which is very popular. Mm-hmm. I've been on the Dr. Oz show talking about the benefits of the keto diet. And so I want to teach people about what the keto diet is and how to, to do it the right way. So there's a physical component to this book that's going to be a 30-day keto program. But I'm I'm going to be tying in the the mental, emotional, spiritual lessons I've learned from Fit to Fat to Fit and over the years of personal development and self-help books and uh, talking with experts on what's changed my life. And we'll probably be, probably be getting into that here in a little bit of how I've changed over the past few years because there's been a lot of... Uh, life transformations for me and tying in those lessons that I've learned into one book about, um, you know, complete keto approach Mm. to a true lifestyle change. So yes, keto is super hot right now, very timely, yet it's been around forever, Uh, you know, mainly as a treatment for epilepsy. A lot of people are using it for fat loss now or (coughs) lifestyle. Is it for everybody? That's a good question. Um, I don't think it's for everybody, but I will say this. I think it's worth at least a consistent try of 30 to 60 days to see if it's optimal first. So I think most people give it a week or so and they're like, oh, I feel awful. Mm -hmm. I think it takes your body a good 30 to 60, maybe 90 days to get adapted to ketones as your your fuel source. But if you just try it out for a week, you don't really know if it's optimal for you. So I think it's worth at least a shot of a consistent try of, of knowing if it's optimal or not. Now, I definitely you know, we'll say this, that it's not a one size fits all approach. And there might be some people that are, that do just fine out running off of carbohydrates, right? Glucose as fuel. Mm-hmm. So, but I think to know, you got to at least give it a good 30 to 60 days of consistent effort to know whether or not it's, it's right for you. Yeah. I like that. I remember with my clients, they would always come in with the newest, the latest paleo was really <laughs> big at the time. And actually we're at paleo effects. I think my first yes. diet was at Atkins actually. Yeah. Really? Yeah. My grandma had this heart book. I forgot the doctor's name, but it was like vegetarian. So I went vegetarian for 10 years and I must've been like nine when I read the book. Cause first diet at nine. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, wow. 
all of my all the women in my life were dieting always but yeah. you know people will say well somebody's doing keto this is going to work someone and i just i kind of like i like your approach of try it see if it works for you because you know i've been asked what will this work i'm like i don't know you have to see what works with your own body yeah sometimes if you love meat you're you're not going to do well on a vegetarian diet like yeah. if you're obsessed and craving it it's not going to be good for you <laughs> or if you hate meat you're maybe not going to do great on paleo so yeah I think that's, yeah, trying it and see. I like that. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, not pushing it on everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah. hard because actually, so we're, we're at, pa- just to give people context, we're actually at PaleoFX, the conference, and yesterday I talked on Moderation 365, which is my nutrition philosophy, yeah. and I literally said dieting makes you stupider, like on stage, and she I was did, like, well, I was good. probably shouldn't say that at like a conference that's associated with a specific <laughs> diet, but yeah. what I mean by that is I think a lot of times people, if they're jumping from diet to diet, mm. a lot of times they lose touch with their physical sensations, mm-hmm. hunger, craving, satiety, stuff like that, yeah. and so when you say you need to figure out if it works for you, how does someone start relearning? How do they know if something works for them or not? Because a lot of times they'll just try and white knuckle their way through because they go, I should be able to do it. Drew can do it. Yeah. Danny can do it. Jill can do it. I should be able to do it. Yeah. And they just wreck themselves. Yeah. I think it's our perception of what it means to be healthy. Like we think, oh, if it's working for me, then that means I'll be skinny, ripped, mm-hmm. shredded, and that's the diet that works for me. So it's our changing our perception of what healthy, healthy and fit is supposed to look like on our bodies. And so I think it's deeper than that. And that's why I'm a big advocate of blood markers, like getting Mm. your blood tested on a consistent basis, whether it's once a quarter or, you know, bare minimum twice a year. I remember, I can't remember who said this, but if you're getting your oil changed more in your car than you are getting your blood work done, then you're you're probably going to have an issue yeah. with your body. Yeah. If you saw Jill's up. car, you'd see she doesn't get that, does nothing to that either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. Like yeah, Literally. So yeah that looks yeah. totally <laughs> organized. I think non- when you get your smock chaotic check, at all. Like, it's due, but, and I was like, uh, we I have probably to rush just hire, my car all the time. Like to yeah. hire somebody to like take her car to get smocked. Yeah, but I feel like, you know, you can obviously, there's intuition of knowing like, oh, I feel healthy. I feel good, right? It's not always based on your body fat percentage or how skinny you yeah. are it's like do you feel sure. good you can go off of that but sometimes you don't really know until you get your blood work done and you're like oh shit like okay i gotta change something in my diet because you know my triglycerides are through the roof and i thought i was healthy even at my fattest i was like yeah i, I don't feel like i'm dying like right, i feel like right. i'm okay but then when i went on the dr Oz show and got my blood work done it's like dude in six months you're you have a non-alcoholic fatty liver Dang. you know and and i didn't drink alcohol at the time right. either oh, Dang. so it was kind of crazy and yeah. scary that you know, you don't really know what's going on inside of your body. We just base it on what the outward appearance is and what the scale says. And we're like, oh, we're healthy because we're skinny or we're not healthy because we're overweight. It's not always that black and white. So speaking of not drinking, (laughs) yes. so you grew up, obviously you drink now because we're, we are drinking. Um, But you grew up in a kind of restrictive religion and Danny did the same one. Hmm. Um, so how was that for you growing up in a drinking was like not that? allowed? <laughs> drinking drinking was not allowed. Yeah. Um, that's the thing, you know, I grew up in the Mormon religions, very strict kind of conservative approach. And my perception of, re- of religion and the environment I grew up in was, you know, it was very black and white, mm-hmm. you know, there was restrictions like, you know, no alcohol, no coffee, no tea, uh, no illegal drugs. And, you know, that was kind of our code of health. And, you know, it was very black and white. That's what you do. And there was uh, interviews throughout your life of like, okay, are you worthy enough to do this? Well, it's based on your answers to these questions. And if you lie, then you should feel guilty about it. And if you do admit to them, there's a, a, you know, a quote unquote punishment period of like, okay, because of that, you send a serious sin, you have to 
kind of sit out for a while or yep. we say like not partake of the sacrament for a couple of weeks. And so for me as a kid, it's really embarrassing to have the sacrament passed around and people, you feel like people are watching like, okay, who's yep. taking it? Who's not taking it? Yep. Oh, Drew's not taking it. He, he must, must have yeah, he must uh, have sinned somehow. So he yep. must have drank or uh, uh, masturbated that week or yep. something, you know, that was serious. And it scares you as a kid. So you're like, okay, well I'll just eat it. And then, you know, you feel guilty. You're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And you beat yourself up. So for me, my perception was I had to be perfect all the time, mm, yeah. right? I had to be perfect for my family, for the church leaders, for other people. And I'll be honest with you, that kind of carried over into sports too, of like, hey, you didn't perform well in football or wrestling. Here's your punishment. So I'm like, you know, that was the, my mentality of like, okay, if I beat myself up enough and discipline myself, that's yeah. going to help me be more disciplined uh, by hating myself more. And that was kind of my perception. So it really has to do not so much with the religion, but my perception of of my environment. And I think that's everybody's situation, no matter what religion or or situation they grew up in is their perception of it. But for me, I developed a very unhealthy perception of it from a very young age. And that became a reality and carried over into my marriage. And um, I tell people it eventually broke me as a man, that guilt and the shame of always having to be perfect on the outside. But on the inside, I hated who I was because I couldn't be perfect. I couldn't be that perfect person. So I saw myself on the inside as a failure, even though to outside people are like, oh yeah, Drew's a nice, confident guy. Like, you know, he's got a lot going for him and, you know, he seems like he's got everything figured out and everything together. But on the inside, I'm like, you know, you're, you fail at this, you fail at that. But I couldn't tell people because then they would perceive me as weak and I would be seen as a failure. So I'm like, I can't let people I can't, I can't have that happen. You can't pull back the curtain. <laughs> so you I put that pressure on myself. Well, one of the things we, we had a little bit of a conversation <clears throat> last night, kind of joking around Catholics and you get to have confession and then you're fine. <laughs> yeah. Just give a bunch of money. Yeah. yeah confess really quick and yeah, all right, you're forgiven. Being Mormon and you tell someone what you did and then you get punished. So I felt like it almost trained me to lie about what I was doing or not be really open. So if I was doing something that I thought was, cause I still wanted to be seen as worthy or be able. So I kind of had a really similar situation to you of a lot of self-guilt and punishment and then hiding what I was doing because the times where I did actually admit it, I got in trouble. So it really trained me to not tell the truth. And over time, it just felt like this, like I was just digging a hole deeper and deeper. And so I, you know, we know a little bit about how your marriage ended. How do you think that that, like that kind of <laughs> guilt and punishment ended it, like led into your relationships and how that kind of Came up yeah. Unraveled, so say. I should probably give some context yeah, to yeah. how it all happened because yeah. I mean, obviously, if you guys want to go listen to episode 100, which you guys have have heard well, that, that's right. we, we kind of yeah. wanted to get you on because we just to give everyone context. So you know, obviously, we love what Drew's doing in the health and fitness space, and it's amazing. But we also wanted to, being the best life podcast, we wanted to talk about some a little bit maybe juicier stuff. Or uh, for Danny and I, our what our mission is with this podcast is to neutralize and normalize some things that people are not willing to talk about all yeah. the time. And really maybe taboo, t- traditionally taboo stuff. So it was months ago. And I think actually it was a mutual friend of ours. Shauna was yep. the reason you oh, came yeah. up is it was right after your uh, podcast on Fit to Fat to Fit. Episode 100 came out. Yeah. And episode 101 where your ex-wife actually did an episode two. <laughs> and you guys talked about maybe the dissolution of the marriage and what happened between you two. And we immediately felt kind of a... Com- a camaraderie with you because we have mm-hmm. a similar situation. Yeah. Uh, and there's something about going through something like that. If you've ever been married for a long period of time or you've had those ups and downs in your relationship, 
you know, you want to feel like there are other people who get that or, and also maybe get on the other side of that and look back and have learned from those experiences. So we wanted to talk about that with you. So that's 100%. And I'm, yeah. I'm an open book. You guys know that. And I totally embrace vulnerability as a strength for me now. And I own my story. So um, I'll kind of shorten this though, because, you know, obviously I go into great detail on my podcast, but um, so basically, you know, that perception of always having to be perfect carried over into my relationship where I, you know, I saw myself, I see myself now as a normal kid, but back then, you know, I was uh, a bad kid because I uh, looked at pornography. Mm -hmm. And in the Mormon church, that's serious sin, right? Mm -hmm. Very evil. And it, it created this forbidden fruit syndrome for me where, you know, in the Garden of Eden, you know, this is forbidden fruit. Don't touch it. Yep. But there was the desire to want to touch it, right? Or partake of it. <clears throat> and so that's kind of how I saw pornography was like, okay, I know it's bad. I know it's evil, but it makes me feel good. And yeah. I can't break that cycle. And so I have to hide it because if I confess it, then there's a punishment. Yeah. So I remember when my ex-wife and I were dating, you know, there was a moment in where she asked me if I looked at it and I told her and she freaked out and I could tell she that it, it hurt her. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I said all the right things. I'm like, I yeah. promise I'll never look at it again. Like I have it under control. I got this. Like, don't worry about it. Like, yeah. I still love you. I said all the right things to her uh, to comfort her, but I I went as long as I could yeah. to not look you're at human it. Human and normal. Yeah, yeah. and um, it happened again. But I was like, I can't I can't tell her we'll get divorced or she won't marry right. me. So I was like, you can do this, Drew. Just if I beat myself up uh, uh, enough, like I all I won't do it won't again, do right? It. And so I tried that and it um, it didn't work, <laughs> obviously. And so I was I hid it from her for a very long time because I developed that pattern of like, okay, hide this from from those people that yeah. might see you as weak if you talk about it. So I lied to her face a couple of times during our marriage about that. And from there it, it developed into, you know, I ended up having an affair, which I never, never in my life thought I would. I even told her the day before I left for this business trip that she had a dream about me cheating on her. And uh, she was like devastated, like crying. And I was like, I was like, I promise I would never ever do that to yeah. you. And um, it's really interesting because it was, it was really hard because I promised her that to her face. And then like a, oh, two weeks later, here I was having an affair. I'm like, what kind of horrible human am I to do that to someone that I love? Right. Yeah. And um, it happened though. And so my, my instinct was, okay, you can't tell her this mm -hmm. because you will get divorced. You'll be seen as a failure. Your life will be over. So I, it was weird. I had to totally cover it up, act like everything was normal. And I did, I did a good job of that to be honest with you. And she, um, you know, she didn't know anything was wrong. She felt something was wrong at some point, And that's where, you know, um, through emails, she found some stuff and she, um, you know, she, she confronted me and I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't lie to her cause she found out about it. And so obviously she was heartbroken, devastated. Cause that was her worst fear ever. And it happened. And for me, I felt, you know, disgusted with myself, awful, horrible. And, uh, you know, she, uh, we, huh, where am I going with this? I don't know why I'm getting so emotional because I've talked about this a hundred times. <laughs> I've talked about this like a hundred times. Well, you and know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's real life. So. Like to sit here and listen to it too. You know, we get, we recently, we have a, uh, the best life podcast.com. It goes to our Facebook group and people have asked us recently, how have you guys been able to become, be friends with your exes after yeah. they did this to you? And I love that we're having you here to say this because, you know, I don't believe my ex or Jill's ex did this intentionally to hurt yeah. us. And no. like the emotion you could tell you didn't do this to <clears> hurt her. And it was really about your own stuff. And we yeah. can like see that, hear that from you. And it's, 
it really is like to be able to have compassion for someone and realize that it wasn't about me. It wasn't about Jill. It wasn't about your ex-wife, uh, Lynn, right? Yeah. And I think that it's just, it, it humanizes it. And I love that you're here and sharing it. And thank you for like just being emotional about it because it's not easy. And it's like what you sometimes you get emotional because you look back at your old self and you have compassion, compassion for that for person. Yeah. Like, yeah, I just didn't know. And like, I just, you only were doing what you were feeling at the time and didn't realize you just didn't have the self, like the compassion for yourself. So yeah, just really real. Yeah. And I think the, the hard part for me was not knowing why I did it. Cause I didn't have any yeah. excuse to do it. Right. You know, we had a good, we had a good marriage. We were happy. We had a good sex life for the yeah. most part. Like, there was no like real reason to, because you, there's, I mean, not that there's ever a real reason, but yeah. like, but we, we, we tend to think it's for people who have like bad marriage. Exactly. Like, <clears throat> that was yeah. our, our situation so much. We, we said on our, at our episode, we were like, we had a good marriage. We were <laughs> best friends. We were yeah. everything together. Yeah. We, we were, were having, having a lot of sex. <laughs> and it was like, we were embarrassed to tell people because I'm thinking people are going to judge me thinking I was a bad wife. And I was like, yeah. a nagging wife. And I was like, but it wasn't that. So I, yeah. we're just so glad to have you on here to share this too, because it's the other side. And <clears throat> I think society wants us to be like bitter and push you as the bad yeah. guy and us as the people. But Honestly, I love having the conversation around it all because there's hurt on both sides. It's not about one person being totally wronged. There's just, there's just a lot of stuff all the way yeah. around. So the conversation well, needs to be had. Yeah, and I think people are looking for a reason to like, you know, to justify this is why I did it and this is like, mm-hmm. you know, my justifying, you know, why it happened. There's no excuse other than I and it took me a while to find out why I did it, right? Like why would I do that? And I think once I had a life coach who yeah. was trained through Byron Katie, loving what is, uh, I realized that all of this stemmed from my self-hate from a young age, from like, you're not perfect and you're a fuck up. So why not do fucked up things? Yeah. Cause you're, you're, you already see yourself as a failure. Right. And so I feel like that's why I did these types of things, hid pornography from her, had the affair, you know, totally hid it from her. Cause it had to do with how I viewed myself. Yeah. Once I realized that it was like a light bulb went on in my head. Like, Oh my gosh, why do I, I don't have to suffer in life by hating myself. And um, that's where things started to change. And I learned this one session with this life coach. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> embarrassing. I cried. I've never cried so hard in my life. Like, like embarrassing cry, like ugly cry, you know? And it was something I needed to go through because I never experienced that. She helped me out in so many ways that no other religious leader could help me. You know, even like prayer and, and all that stuff that I learned through the church. Like she taught me how to see myself from different uh, different eyes from a different perspective and learned how to truly love myself despite my past mm-hmm. and not having to define myself by what I did in the past. And once I learned that perspective, I was like, my whole life changed. And then I could let Lynn go. I was holding on to our marriage. So here's the thing. we I had th- She found out about the affair and I did whatever it took to like save our marriage. I was like, no, I still love you. I want to save our marriage. I'll go to addiction recovery, which I did through the church. And that helped to a certain extent, but I'll get into that in a second about the whole pornography thing. And uh, we went to counseling and, you know, there was times where our marriage seemed awesome. It seemed better. Like, oh, we're dating again. We're intimate. Like you're laughing. Like, oh yeah, we're fine. Right. And then all of a sudden we'd watch a movie where there was like uh, infidelity and she would start bawling. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'd be like, 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 I thought that we were good, but obviously not. And, um, it was weird how it just, just like that, something would trigger it. Yeah. And uh, so we went through those ups and downs for about four or five years. Then Fit to Fat to Fit happened. Mm-hmm. And we were on TV shows and we were like, oh, this happily married fit couple, you know. And 
we had all this shit going on behind the scenes that nobody knew about. Nobody. Not not her family, not my family, not my best friends. Nobody knew about this. So when we were going through through all of that, I thought that, you know, there was times of good, but then bad, good, then bad. And then once I uh, met with a life coach, she taught me how to love myself. I could let go of Lynn because I was holding on to her in our marriage for prideful reasons because I didn't want to be seen as a failure because I had fit to fit to fit going. I was in the public eye. Yeah. If they learned about our divorce mm-hmm. and the affair, you know, in the game, like you're done, like your, your life's going to be over. So I did whatever it took. Right. But then once I, I could learn to love myself, I let Lynn go. Cause it was, it was literally killing her. Even though she looked great on the outside, she was dying on the inside. Mm. And so I, I had to let her go. And, um, so we decided to get divorced eventually, but I think it was because of that, that we're able to stay friends. If we would have gotten divorced the day after yeah. she found out about the affair, it would probably not be what it is today where we're still good friends. We yeah. co-parent really well. We have two beautiful daughters and, you know, we have a good relationship. You know, I'm, she has a boyfriend. I'm super happy for her. I have no issues with him. Like he's a good guy. And, um, you know, I, I feel grateful in a way that we did it the way we did because we were able to heal ourselves on an individual level before we made the decision to get divorced. And when we get, did get divorced, we agreed on everything. There was no fighting. We didn't have to hire attorneys. I'm not saying that works for everybody, but for us, I'm grateful it happened the way it did. It takes a lot of courage to go through all of that and to mm-hmm. make the recognition that you need to let her go. Yeah. Congratulations to you. Well, it I took me a few a years. <laughs> it well, wasn't like... It thing, so, you know, a lot of the questions that we've gotten, especially is, um, you know, Esther Perel, I don't know if you're familiar with Esther Perel's work, but she talks a lot about uh, infidelity. Her recent book is called The State of Affairs. Mm-hmm. And she has an amazing, two amazing TED Talks that you guys need to listen to. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, and I think we talked about it in the affairs mm-hmm. episode. Um, and she says that the shame used to be in leaving and now the shame is in staying. So for us being kind of like in society's eyes, like the victim, right? I don't feel like a victim. Uh, interesting. Never felt like a victim. But it was like, does it make you a doormat? And we've actually had people say to us, like, how could you, or even friends who would say to us, you know, so I can imagine how maybe Lynn felt like you're supposed to just, as soon as it happens, you're supposed to pack your bags and leave and like, you know, yep. be an independent woman, especially as independent women, yeah. <laughs> yeah. know, like strong, independent strong. women, you go like, yeah. what does it mean about me that I'm staying? But I think what people miss is like, you have a life together. You know, you yeah. guys had a family together. You have, you want to try to like figure this out and you yeah. don't, and you're both, you're kind of like waking up to a bunch of stuff too. And you're trying to navigate with someone else's, you know, sensitivities and it's a long road. So it, you know, it sounds like it took you guys about four or five years. It took me about two or three years, like, mm-hmm. you know, a year or two. So it takes some time and I yeah. think you need to leave like breathing room for people don't really know what's going on yet and you can't make those hasty decisions necessarily. Yeah, I think one of the things I learned from working with this life coach um, and the Byron Katie method was that there's three types of business. There's your business, God's business and other people's business and and most of us live in God's business or other people's business and when we do that, which are things we can't control, mm-hmm. that's where we suffer. That's where we feel miserable and we we um, you know, that's that's where most humans live in that space. So you can't control like, you know, what God does. Like, you know, why why did you put me in this situation? Why do I have these temptations? Right. You you can't control what other people do, yeah. right? But you can only live in your business. And if you can just stay in your business, that's where you can be happy and realize that, you know, what the, what happened here in this situation is is, you know, was my business. And it, it had nothing to do with Lynn, right? And I've I've this was a hard part for me was because I tried to tell her that I still loved her and the yeah. affair, the pornography had nothing to do with her. Yeah. But I think most women and her at the time, she couldn't process that. She's like, no, if you loved me, you wouldn't do do these things. It's black and white. Exactly. And, you know, I think she, she sees differently nowadays, but, 
back then that's all she knew. And I think a lot of women think that way too. And, uh, for me, like, you know, learning that was, was really important because, um, you know, I can't control God's business. I can't control other people's business. I got to stay in my business and work on me. Like this is something I had to work on and had to, uh, it started with this, uh, life coach. And then from there was, you know, uh, books like by Brene Brown that changed yeah. my life, daring greatly, rising strong, the whole guilt, the shame, it just started clicking. This is why I was the way I was. And this is how I can be a better man uh, uh, today. And so it's it's been a, a game changer for me and it's changed my life. So I don't know. I see what you're saying as far as like if staying in the relationship is really, really hard to do. Yep. But I see nowadays people stay then leave to be honest yeah but i think there's 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 a healthy approach to it and there's an like if you're staying in it and are you a doormat Mm -hmm. maybe if that person never changes and Mm -hmm. they just keep doing it and repeating Mm -hmm. those patterns or are you in it to see them you know help them change and develop into a better person whether you stay or not is nobody else's business Mm -hmm. right that's your that's a personal decision and so I, i i don't judge either way but i think it's um I don't know. It's a really difficult situation. Each person's different. Do you think that porn is cheating? That's a good question. If you're hiding it and deceiving the other person, I think it is. But if you're both okay with porn and your spouse looking at porn, I don't know. It is whatever you want it to be, in my opinion. Porn can be whatever you want it to be. It can be seen as evil thing. I think there's a lot of downsides to porn, to be honest with you. Um, it uh, <laughs> is one, it's, it, it creates this fantasy like reality for men of like, this is what sex is supposed to look like. This is what women are supposed to be in this right. situation. And I can see it, that becoming uh, uh, erotic or stimulating to the man than real life. Like a woman right in front of you. That's beautiful. That's, that's sexy. Like that becomes their reality in a way. So I can see that unhealthy relationship with porn kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just making you more... Uh, like sensationalizing Sensationalizing, it. yeah. So you're more turned on by that than reality. Does that right. make sense? Yes, totally. And the only reason I ask that is because in, in Esther Prell's book, she's like, there's so many, especially with social media, right? Like is talking to your ex cheating is like live video chat <laughs> cheating. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like all those the line kind of, drawn? Yeah, <laughs> and I think to your point, it's probably just one of those things that you need to have maybe a conversation with the person that you're with on like what are, and it's, it's not really like a fun conversation to have. Like you just start dating someone. You're like, so what do you constitute? You know, what's, what's cheating? You know, it's when do you have that conversation? But I do think communication is so key. Like you mentioned, you have to like kind of just be open about it. Yeah. And that's one thing I learned from my past mistakes of my past marriage was like not communicating anything. So just assuming that, Oh, you know, I, (laughs) this is okay. And that's not okay. Like, you know, um, I think it's, it's, it's uncomfortable at first to have those conversations, but it's so essential. And that's why, for me, I embrace vulnerability as a strength. Like, yeah, it might make someone uncomfortable if I start dating them. I'm like, hey, you know, what do you think about porn? Do you want to talk about it? Like, wh- where are you at with that? And yeah. for me, like, honestly, I'll just say this because people are probably wondering, like, where are you at with porn? Honestly, like, I don't look at it anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I try and stay as far away from the edge as possible. Like, oh, this is bad. Stay away from it. It has no effect on me anymore. Like, I could see it. It doesn't feel like illicit. Like, no, I don't. Before, it was like so. Controlling. Right. Yeah. right? Like, oh, my gosh, I, I see it. that. I have to act on it. Right. And we even had a rule in our marriage, like no radar movies with nudity, because then I would get too turned on by it. And, you know, so we're like, that's our rule. Stay as far away from the edge as possible. But you go on social media and there's like fitness pictures or like whatever. You're going to see pornography almost anywhere you go. And and there's like, what's pornography, what's not? Um, So anyways, it's interesting because, you know, I did that addiction recovery right through the church, which helped out. I think that helped normalize it for me. Like, oh, these other normal dudes are just like me. And they, it's not some weird 
kid in their basement that's you yeah. know that that looks at this stuff all day it's like these are normal guys just like me yeah. and i'm not the only one that goes through this and then from there you know i i don't see it and this might be controversial as bad or good or evil um it can be whatever you want it to be you can change your own perception of it uh but for me it just it just is it, yeah. it is what it is and for me i just feel like um i've gotten to the point where i can see it for what it is and it has zero control over me and i it's not fulfilling. Like I want to do things in life that bring me fulfillment. Yep. Porn doesn't bring me fulfillment. Yep. And so I choose not to do it. And that goes for a lot of things in my life. Yeah. Do I see it and on TVs or in a movie? Obviously. <laughs> you can't not. But that, that doesn't yeah. trigger anything anymore like it used to. How have you changed as a man going into relationships with like, I know with the church when we talked about earlier, just hiding things and keeping things secret. How have you changed with honesty and people in your relationships now? Like, are you one of those people who are like, I have to be honest, or do you still feel like you have to hold back and pull things back until you know someone better? That's interesting. So I'll be honest with you guys. I have not been in a relationship since my divorce. Like Mm -hmm. not like I haven't dated anyone exclusively or had a girlfriend. And that kind of has to do with like one, my own fears of relationships and having kids and involving them into a relationship and a lot of stuff, but we can go, (laughs) that could be a different podcast. But, you know, I've had conversations with girls that I have like gone out on dates with. And honestly, like from the very beginning, Mm -hmm. like for me, it's important for me to establish that, that uh, communication and being upfront with them right from the beginning. Like, Hey, you know, I... I am talking to other girls and this is where I'm at. I'm not being intimate with anybody else. And maybe it's oversharing, but for me, I'd rather be on that side of it than the other side of it. Cause obviously I've learned from my lessons in the past. So yeah, I mean, I, I foresee one day, hopefully soon I'll be in a relationship with somebody where I feel comfortable enough to be open and vulnerable with them from the very get go. Mm-hmm. Not like later on down the road yeah. and hopefully that other person is okay with it. And, uh, but I can't control that other person if they're not okay with it, but I'd rather be on that side of it than, then have to be tiptoeing around like, oh, I don't want to tell them this because that'll upset them. And, you know, once you start down that road, it's, I don't know, it's a slippery slope. So it's so different than the Drew who got <laughs> married at first. Like when you found out about porn, had a bad reaction. So you hit it. And now you're like, I'm just going to tell you everything. And hopefully that works. Yeah, exactly. You know, honesty but- is one of those things that I don't know, maybe you have some experience with this is, you know, so after, um, my relationship ended, my relationship to honesty totally changed. Cause I think mm-hmm. if you had asked me 10 years ago or asked even my ex-husband, are you honest person? We'd be like, yeah, of course. But like, yeah. you know, cause everyone mostly thinks that they are, but my relation <laughs> to honesty is like so strong now. It's yeah. like, I will just tell you, I mean, not like cruel honesty, but yeah. like, like you were saying, just full transparency from the get go. Like you can ask me anything, anytime. And it feels so liberating yeah. In a way, it's like ripping a bandaid off. The first time you talk about something, honestly, you're like, is this okay? And you're worried yeah. about someone's reaction, but then you practice it, you practice it, practice it. And it feels like I could never live any other way yeah. than just being full transparency. 100%. One of my biggest fears was after our divorce was like, there's no girl that's going to want to date me. If they find out about right. like the porn addiction, all these red flags, right. there's going to be no one that's going to want to date me. Like right. who's going to want to date me, right? Those, those are my stories that I told myself. Yeah. But it's been like almost the opposite effect. Like the more open I am about it, like yeah. the more trusting people are. And like for me, it's just I'd I'd rather people know me not as just as Drew the fit fat fit guy, but know almost like hey, listen to this episode first. If you still want to be friends with me, right. <laughs> let me know. Yeah. If not, cool. Like I don't judge you. But like honestly, I'd rather people know that part about me. You know, I don't. Doesn't mean I tell them on the first date. Right. But like if someone asks me a question, I will tell them the honest answer because yeah. I don't want to go down that path of guilt and shame again. Yeah. You know, because I see the damage that it causes. Do you think that affairs are a lot more common than we think? 
I think, yeah, in today's society, 100%, you know? Because like we said, what is cheating? What is cheating, right? Yeah, what is cheating? Yeah. (laughs) With social media. Okay, so Drew has a huge following on the internet. He's a good-looking guy. So tell us about what happens in your DMs. (laughs) Yeah. They're not as bad as probably yours. (laughs) (laughs) Girls aren't as creepy as guys are. I'll be 100% girls aren't as creepy as guys are. I feel like I've heard different stories from guys. Like, girls do stuff I had no idea. No, I don't get, I think it depends on how you put yourself out there. I was going to say, you have like a pretty wholesome. Yeah, I don't put myself out there like, I mean, I don't see myself. (laughs) I know when I was doing fitness modeling, I got a lot worse stuff than I do now. But still, I feel like I don't put myself out there to get some of the things I still get. Yeah. (laughs) I I think it's weird. I think my my shirtless photos are more PG rated, I guess. I don't know. Or I'm not like, hey, ladies, hit me up or something like that. I, I don't know. That's not. I come like I post pictures of my daughters a lot, and so like I'm a family guy, and so. But also, I do know because I DM'd Drew like two <laughs> years ago, and he just responded. Oh, that's so funny. So that's so embarrassing. Probably I'm like, he's got a lot that he doesn't know about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that was so funny. Like, oh, I heard you got divorced or something like that, and then I just responded like a month ago or he two was months like, yeah, ago. This, and I was like, yeah, but I wrote you that in 2000. And then I just you were realized just, like, really thirsty. You were like, you hit him up. You're thirsty. No, you hit me with something else. Yeah. Yeah. And then I looked above. I'm like, oh wait, she she messes this too. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I've been divorced for a while. You know. I don't know what you're talking like, about. Yeah, I wrote it all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so, uh, yeah. No, it's just, yeah. So, so how is social media for you? Do you meet people online? Um, I have. Um, not very often, not very common. I don't, like I did, I did like a one month stint of Bumble uh, <laughs> a while ago. Which is why I DM'd him initially. That's right. That's right. You saw me I on saw Bumble. Him. I just moved to LA and I was like, this is Drew. I saw him on Bumble. I screenshot it and I was like, <laughs> and I saved it, but I actually DM'd. I was like, hey, I didn't know you were, uh, divorce but just basically i was just kind of be like is this you is someone stealing no, your profile like, oh, no, okay just like good faith like hey i'll just on the down low i won't say anything to anybody and i had just separated too mm. but yeah it was just weird <laughs> yeah no so i think social media yeah some people have reached out to me but i can tell like which ones that are like oh let's like will you marry me if that's their first thing you know that's obviously not something i'm gonna respond yes to right <laughs> yes where do you live let's let's meet up you know <laughs> Like I'm very careful and very protective of, of my brand, one. And that's, I think, in today's society, it is mm-hmm. weird to date as like a social influencer mm-hmm. because do people want to be with you because of your mm-hmm. brand mm-hmm. or do people want to be with you because of you? It's hard to it's hard to know. It's yep. hard to know who to trust. Yep. And so that's why I want, if you are going to date me, like get to know me, f- like all of me, not just yeah. through the fit to fit the fit guy. There's right. a, you know, there's a lot more to me than that. Yeah. So. But yeah, social media is a very interesting beast. Very interesting. Well, and there's Instagram, so and then there's Facebook, and there's YouTube, and there's it's different people on different yeah, ones. We were at a, we were on a podcast yesterday, the Realness Podcast with Connor Moore, and we were talking about people can tend to like fall in love with you and your persona, who they they perceive you to be online, and they feel like they know you, but you don't know them. So it's very so like asymmetrical. Yeah, you know, they know everything about you, and that's cool. Like that's the whole purpose of social media. That's why we share. So they feel that connection. Yeah. But when you are trying to get to know someone in a romantic setting. You're kind of like all I know about you is that you're tall. Like you know what I mean? Like I need, like, <laughs> yeah. I, need I need, I need to catch up. With yeah. What you know about me. So has that happened to you? Um, I've gone out on maybe a couple dates. I'm I'm trying to think of how many. Maybe like three or four. Where like someone's like me, like messaged me. I'm like okay, let me stalk you a little bit on your social yeah. media, which sounds weird, but like no, everyone does screening. You want to know like okay, <laughs> yeah, is this person real? Right. Because I've had ones where I'm like, okay, I don't know if you're real. Mm-hmm. And if I don't know if you're real, like, I don't trust that. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Has that, has that happened to you guys where you're like, I don't know who you are? From, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And so, 
but I've gone out in like three, three or four, or I've gone out with like three or four people that have messaged me on Instagram or something like that. So what is one thing that you do not put on your social media? That when you said, I want people to get to know <clears throat> Drew, not just the fit to fat to fit Drew. What's one thing that maybe is you don't share so much on? No, I don't really talk about the religion aspect. I've talked about it on my podcast as far as like the guilt and the shame I had to get out of the religion. That mm-hmm. uh, the the leaving the religion was a totally different topic and for a totally different reason. Other than the guilt and the shame, that was like the part of it. That was like the beginning of it. But you know, my ex and I, we we actually kind of left at the same time, and mm-hmm. people didn't know that. Like she left originally because she kind of like quote unquote got punished and we can talk about that because that's the thing is like I don't know how many people out there will understand the Mormon religion and how it works like I could say it but people are like you know it's not gonna make sense to a lot of people probably you know if I start talking about like temple recommends and how those work and then I gotta you know so I don't know if this could be like another hour long podcast (laughs) for you guys you know explaining what the Mormon religion is and how it works and then from there like why she kind of got in trouble why she left and then for me like how I left and um because then I, I feel like I have to explain a lot more. But I don't really talk about that. Uh, and I never even did before when I was Mormon and I was like a believer. Uh, like I was a hardcore believer. I uh, went on a mission, married in the temple, which is a big deal in the church. And um, and went from that to, to being a non-believer. I still respect the religion and, and the faith. My family's still in it. So I still respect it. But, um, you know, I, I definitely... Um, I'm a lot happier with who I am now and where I'm at now, but I don't really share that on social media as far as like, you know, uh, my, my religious beliefs or non-religious beliefs, if you will. And even like I was saying before, when I was a believing Mormon, I didn't really post about that either because I feel like it creates divisiveness. Like, okay, which side are you on? You know, are you on this side or that side? And then people are going to love you that agree with you. And then people are going to hate you that disagree with you. And so it's similar to politics. Like yeah. I don't talk about religion or politics yeah. on social media. Anything that creates divisiveness, I, I try mean, I not to. I create divisiveness by posting inappropriate stuff <laughs> yeah. Friday. Yeah. Inappropriate things for Friday, but not religion or politics. I draw the line there, but penises, all the day. <laughs> <laughs> so what is, okay, so then if someone is trying to date Drew Manning now. <laughs> wow. Yes, okay. What are you looking for? What are things that are important to you? I'll, I'll say one thing, or no, I'll say two things. The most important thing to me is someone that has a good relationship with themselves. Someone that loves themselves, someone that's not going to see me as like, you're my savior. You're going to make me happy. You're going to bring happiness into my life. I need you to be that for me. Because I think if you go into a relationship looking for that person to kind of be your source of happiness, then at some point they're going to disappoint you because they're human, right? And then um, it's not going to be a healthy relationship. So for me, I look for someone that truly loves themselves and is happy with who they are versus looking at me to provide them with that happiness. The second thing is, I mean, obviously, yes, physical attraction is really important, but there's two things, in my opinion, that make someone more or less attractive, and that's kindness and confidence. There's nothing sexier than confidence, in my opinion. So if if you're kind to other people and you don't look down on other people or think you're better than other people, to me, that's sexy. Same thing with confidence. Like, you are confident in who you are. Not cocky, right? right? Not slutty, but you're confident in who you are that makes you more attractive. But if you're not confident, you're like, oh, I'm always like, uh, I'm so fat or I'm ugly. I can't convince you that you're beautiful yeah. and sexy. No matter how much I say it, you might, you know, at times believe that, but I can't, no one can convince you except for yourself. Yeah. And then um, the, the the kindness aspect too, like that's, if someone could, someone could be the most beautiful girl in the world, but if she looks down on other people yeah. or isn't nice to other people, that for me, that's a big turnoff. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of your kids. 
Yeah, so that's <laughs> and this is like some of my fears that I've I've gotten better at, right? So I'm I'm totally open to a relationship, and I'm actually look, hopefully looking forward to one. I kind of I didn't put a goal on it, but I'm like I want to make time for it in 2018. And so even if I fell in love with the perfect girl, how hard would it be if I loved her to death? But what if she didn't love my kids? Or what if my kids didn't like her? That would make it so much harder. And so part of me wants to, and this is turning into a therapy session, but like <laughs> part of me is like, well, why, like, why go down that road if, if it's not guaranteed to be successful? Because I don't want to put my girls through that. Because what if they get attached to her yeah. and they don't, and she doesn't like them and then their heart's broken because. But like, why would we not like your girls? Not we, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. What's going on here? <laughs> Why would girls? I, um, Are they really shitty girls? Like, do you have bad no, kids? No, I've never had any. Just, no, I've never had any. But I, I probably wouldn't be attracted to someone or, or fall in love with somebody that wouldn't like my girls, yeah. obviously. But yeah. there's a trust factor. Like, okay, do you really like kids or are you saying that? Right. And right. so, you know, I, I really don't truly know until that I've yeah. crossed that bridge. So I haven't crossed that bridge yet. But, you know, my girls are are amazing. And here's the thing I've learned is, you know, girls can, you know, come and go, but I will always be their dad. Yeah. You know, no matter what, I could get married again, fall in love, but I don't know if that marriage is going to work out. No matter what I do, I will always be their dad. So for me, it's like, I put a lot of time and effort into that. Yeah. But at the same time, like I, I, and in the past, I haven't given a lot to relationships because I give a lot to my business. I give a lot to my daughters and I'm like, I don't have a lot left to give. It's like, okay, I'll see you in a couple of months, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And that doesn't work for, for most people, mm-hmm. you know, for most girls. But that's what I'm saying. This year, I want to make time for relationships, whether that's a girlfriend or not, like whether it's just friends or being with other human beings, like that's my goal for 2018 is to make time for relationships. If, you know, if the girlfriend thing happens, I'll be super happy, of course. But if not, it's just, you know, like this, me being here saying yes to you guys to doing a podcast yep. in Austin, Texas, in your Airbnb. I'm saying yes to those types of relationships. Cool. Last question? Yeah, last question. <laughs> okay, so this is Uh-oh. the Best Life Podcast. And we call it that because we really think that no matter what's happening in your life, you get to choose. Like, what is your, you get to choose your best life. Like, mm-hmm. what does your best life look like? So what does the best life look like to Drew Manning? What is your best life? That's a good question. Are you talking about in terms of like, if you envision your best life, what would it look like now? Yeah. Okay. When you're living your best life, what's going on? Okay. When I'm living my best life, I am present in the moment. So when I'm with my girls, I'm with them, right? I'm not on my phone. I'm not doing social media. I'm not doing that stuff. But also when I'm with other people, I'm present in the moment with them, giving them my attention versus like, okay, what's the next thing? I got to hurry this up and get to the next thing. And it's being present with myself. Like, uh, sometimes it's so hard, as you guys know, as entrepreneurs to give, 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 but then there's no self-care. There's no time for self-care, self-reflection. And I feel like, um, at least what I've learned over the past few years, that's so important because like I talked about, I want someone that has a good relationship with himself. Well, you have to put time and effort into that, right? So for me, things like meditation, positive affirmation, daily gratitude lists are things that help keep me grounded and have a good relationship with myself. And I notice if I'm busy traveling and I don't make time for that, it's taken uh, a toll on me. Um, and it kind of uh, helps me separate from who I'm trying to become. And so I would say, you know, those things are kind of how I see my, my best life now. Love it. Love it. So <laughs> we just really appreciate you being so honest Thank and you. so vulnerable. I know I love that you embrace vulnerability as a, as a strength because we believe in 
really just pulling back the curtain on a thing that we think a lot of people are dealing with, but not a lot of people are willing to talk about. And so it, we're always just so grateful and appreciative when someone's willing to go there with us. Yeah. So thank you so much for. Yeah, it was my pleasure, this. and it's weird how like I can totally talk about this and, and you know not not be afraid or scared to you know. So I'm grateful. So thank you for the opportunity. We appreciate it. So how can our people find you, support you, where online? That sounds like you said YouTube, all the things. Where, where they look? Where they, they want look to sign up. your DMs. Yeah. <laughs> Slide into my DMs, you guys. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, keep it PG rated, please. Um, <laughs> <I'm> just <kidding. laughs> um, it's super easy. At fit number two, fat number two, fit is all my social media handles, my website, my podcast, my book. And uh, that's pretty much it. Fit too fat to fit. And then when your book comes out, we'll have you on again to do a little promo about the book. That would be awesome. Thank you guys. Yeah, really appreciate great. it. Awesome. All right, Thanks you guys. So Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.